0: I like doing the forensics work, and I like working at the grocery store, and I really think that blend, I think it could work.
1: From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, media coordinator for TVMA. Today marks the anniversary of the World Health Organization declaring COVID-19 a pandemic. And just a few days following March 11, 2020, Americans began to experience the personal and professional impact of this declaration. In Austin, Texas, restaurants and bars closed. Businesses encouraged non-essential employees to work remotely if possible. And students had to adjust to online learning. People lost their jobs. My guest today, Dr. Melinda Merck, talks about how the pandemic has personally and professionally affected her. She is a veterinary forensics expert and the owner of Veterinary Forensics Consulting. She also is the editor and contributing author of the first textbooks on veterinary forensics and animal crime scene investigation in the U.S. It's called Veterinary Forensics, Second Edition animal cruelty investigations. But on a daily basis, a lot of her job involves traveling and giving expert testimony at courthouses. And with courthouses closing and traveling highly discouraged, she had to find a new job during this time. Where did she begin working? Her community grocery store, Randall's. There, she has formed tight-knit relationships with employees and customers. It's a rewarding job. So, with Dr. Merck taking on this role and working less in veterinary forensics, what has this meant for veterinary forensics on a broader scale? In this episode, she answers this question and defines what veterinary forensics is. She also shares what working at the grocery store means to her, the pandemic's impact on interpersonal violence and animal abuse, and how she and her team coped with the extreme winter storm last month. Really, this is an episode about adaptability, resiliency, and humility. Here she is.
0: Well, veterinary forensics is answering legal questions uh, using veterinary science and medicine. So as veterinarians, whenever we're performing the duties, regarding any kind of case, um, whether it's a civil case or a criminal case that is applying, uh, forensics, uh, through our veterinary training and knowledge. Okay.
1: And why did this particular field in veterinary medicine appeal to you?
0: It, it started when I was in practice in Atlanta, um, where, uh, I was being involved more and more in animal cruelty type cases, and when I went to look for something on the subject, there was only one series of papers published in the UK about the battered pet syndrome. It was that's what it was labeled, and I realized there wasn't really anything out there except on the human side as far as learning more about forensic science and how that could apply to animals.
1: And so what was your role in progressing or advancing uh, veterinary forensics?
0: Well, I kind of fell into it, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just this private practitioner um, that, you know, I had worked with the medical examiners in Atlanta, um, which is actually turns out is the headquarters for uh, the big uh, medical examiners association. But I would reach out to them like if I had a gunshot case or, you know, how do I handle the ballistics and so forth. So when I found out there really wasn't anything out there, I realized we we needed it. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, if we don't, if we aren't taught this, if we aren't trained in this, we're not going to step up to it. Um, So I started uh, working with the medical examiners both in our city and our state and it turns out they're all big animal lovers, uh, most mm-hmm. of them, uh, the whole teams. Um, and they invited me to um, watch autopsies um, whenever they had suspected homicides so I could learn from their medical legal death investigators and pick their brains, kind of deal. And that's what started it. Um, mm-hmm. it the need was there. Um, and then that grew as I did more cases I I realized that even the crime scene investigators, with all their tools and um, bags of tricks, um, when they got to an animal case, the best they could do was take photographs. Um, Mm -hmm. And even then, they don't know what is evident, has evidentiary value, um, whether it's there at the scene or it's missing from the scene. So I realized I needed to learn more about crime scene investigation and and protocols because we weren't going to get the support, oftentimes, from the human crime scene investigators. One, they have human cases, right, and they're busy. Mm -hmm. And two, they just, they don't know animals. They know humans. They know humans and what they're going to do, where to look for blood trails and evidence and kind of figure it out. But for animals, they really would freeze up and go, tell us what to do, you direct us. Mm-hmm. And so that's what spurred it on. Uh, I took courses in uh, basic crime scene investigation. I became certified in blood stain analysis um, and take courses along with law enforcement, which in and of itself was somewhat intimidating. Um, but they were blown away that a veterinarian, you know, that someone from the animal field. Um, was interested and they were horrified at animal cruelty is what I found. So I had the support of the forensic science community and law enforcement.
1: Got it. Okay. And what was the impact on animal cruelty cases with veterinarians such as yourself getting into this field?
0: Oh, geez. It's been tremendous. Um, you know there was i just had an inquiry uh, wondering if we had statistics on case outcomes when you had a veterinarian involved um in a case what most of it's anecdotal but you know talking to the officers they said you know just the presence even if you're not asked to testify and they end up pleading. but just the presence of a veterinarian in the courtroom on a case uh per, being the voice for that victim uh uh, the animal victim was changed the outcomes it it Mm -hmm. immediately we were getting um the judges were less likely to be dismissive Mm -hmm. um early years they were very frustrated with full court dockets of why do i have an animal case on my when i've got also some rapes and um you know other types of horrendous crimes against humans um but slowly slowly but surely over the last you know 15 plus geez yeah at least 15 years we're seeing this change where um they're they are taking it seriously so the the impact to get back to your question the impact has been absolutely positive as far as Getting uh, the engagement of prosecutors, the engagement of law enforcement, um, though sometimes the veterinarians have to drive it in their area. They really do. They have to pull the teams together or really push for um, a good investigation.
1: Mm -hmm. And so I know that you have done a few webinars, probably several, but I know that you did one for TVMA and it sounded like one of the instances was perhaps a case of animal cruelty is associated with domestic violence
0: oh yeah and that's certainly been a very hot topic during this pandemic um cuz domestic violence has tremendously risen and child abuse we know that the there's a link between animal abuse and interpersonal violence of any nature. Um, The abuser will um, threaten or injure or even kill the animal as part of their power and control um, that they're exerting on the victims of their family. Um, So we have um, this issue in veterinary medicine where you know we practice happy medicine for the most part right Mm -hmm. people come to us we are the family doctor we are the community uh doctors and for this extended family of the pets and what we miss is the 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 prevalence of domestic violence where one in three women and one in four men will experience it in their lifetime and when you put that with pet ownership then you have to realize the connection there that all these animals are at risk. So through the webinars, which was outstanding that TVMA supported, we we're able to develop some video to show how would you handle that in practice? When What are the suspicious indicators for um, potentially domestic violence in, in impacting the animal and the humans? And then how do you handle that in a practice setting? because we're coming in not expecting to see it. It's not something that we're commonly going to see, but we're definitely going to see that. So the webinars were, I think, a critical tool for Mm -hmm. the veterinary community to watch and learn from so that they know how to handle. But domestic violence is, I mean, it's linked with uh, the, the animal cruelty and domestic violence is even linked with sexual abuse of animals in the domestic violence context. So mm-hmm. it's it's a real serious risk when they have pets in the family um, mm-hmm. where this violence is going on.
1: Wow. And what feedback have you received from veterinarians who watch those webinars?
0: It's been very positive because it gives them the language and uh to like what do you do you're in the middle of you know your day you may have to go pick up your child from daycare you get this case um and you, or you've got a surgery they're getting prepped for and then you get this what do you do there's tremendous resources in our communities um for in most communities or nearby for domestic violence, and so the feedback has been absolutely fantastic. Many veterinarians, because we're not connected to our community programs, um, unless you reach out and do that for social services or uh, the shelters for children and uh, primarily women. But the there's been through the link. Uh, coalition, they've done a mapping project and they started with Texas and they've mapped the entire state of where do you report animal abuse. There's also within the map, it was like where are shelters that have programs for pets uh, in domestic violence. So there's a lot of resource and I think those webinars really did give the tools to the veterinary community.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I recently interviewed Dr. Katie Luke from the Austin Humane Society. Yeah. And I think she's a huge fan of yours. <laughs> we were talking. Yeah, and she was raving about you. And um it sounds like the Austin Humane Society helps out with um sheltering the animals while the um individuals who are experiencing interpersonal violence are finding somewhere safe to be when they're in that transition.
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And we're working, you know, Katie's that prime example of what you can do, you know, through the grassroots within your own community. You know, we got to talking about this need and then after, you know, her eyes like pop out her head, like what, you know, (laughs) um, you want to see, what does this look like? Right. And they were in the middle of starting to get ready for their capital fund campaign. And it's not like they don't have enough to do at a shelter in general. Um, But, Putting her in context, there's or in contact with key people, and her really believing in it, and finding um, the assistance and the support within their agency and what to do. It, it, she's the, you know, the prime example for the state of Texas of what you can do, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: The pandemic has really affected your ability to consult on cases in this field, so. Tell me how and, and what you're doing today.
0: <laughs> so, geez, it was, what, we're at the end of February. So a year ago, you know, I was tracking this, what was going on, and I had a feel. I just, I was traveling, I do a lot of speaking, I do a lot of training, and um, I just knew that what I was seeing that we were just gonna be in for this explosion and this shutdowns. And a lot of my work is involving that travel and and even testimony. So um, with the shutdowns coming, I knew that oh, the courts were gonna be shut down, even you know the prosecutor's offices were working on skeleton crew, if not from home, and they were gonna have to really triage what cases they focused on, right? There was going to be a lot of plea deals you know what were the investigations going to look like so i seeing the writing on the wall um so secret uh, background in my family it turns out i come from a long line of people who've worked in grocery stores oh. and i love my just around the corner grocery store here in austin and love to bag groceries and i had always thought about checking to see if I could work there part-time since my work is intermittent and if Mm -hmm. they would work with my schedule so it was the day before this they were doing all these massive shutdowns before Amazon you know like that morning I think Amazon announced they were hiring 100,000 people so I put my application in for Amazon and this grocery store and uh, got hired for both. It was supposed to be part-time for both. Before I could start Amazon, I was, I think, on day five at the grocery store. Um, I got asked to be uh, an assistant manager. Wow. <laughs> so I had to go full-time with benefits. Mm-hmm. And they promised they would work with my schedule, which they have. Like if I've had to testify or anything coming up, uh, they, they adjust. They have this very flexible scheduling week to week and it was it's like been working a giant disaster ongoing um which you know i have background in working disasters which yeah. crime they're like disasters as well so i have been working at a grocery store in addition to doing consulting yeah and i'm now assistant grocery manager
1: nice Uh, yeah
0: I got promoted (laughs) first of the year um and I love it I I actually do like it and then of course we just went through our major winter storms back to back to back and I was able to walk to work and we with a skeleton crew it was worse than the beginning of the pandemic it was um It was very, very stressful. People could die, you know, from the cold and out of food and water. And that has, (laughs) I told my uh, store director that I thought he was taking advantage of my background in disasters (laughs) because I'm like, oh my gosh, what else can go wrong? Yeah, Yeah. Uh, Delivery trucks getting stuck in the loading dock because of the snow and ice. I mean, it's just Uh. always something, but it's been a fascinating journey. The people I work with are it's like this melting pot of everything from people in their 70s down to kids who are wanting to be, you know, go to college and become attorneys or um, uh, OBGYNs. So it's been opportunities to mentor as well.
1: Yeah, and when we spoke earlier, you said it was another way to really connect with people, um, you know, customers. So if you want to talk a little bit more about that.
0: Oh, geez, yes. I have um, uh, Cheyenne, the dog that uh, waits for me to bring her water, you know, when he comes to the store every day. So the customers have been fascinating um, to connect with them on not only what's going on with their life, but just we can talk about sometimes medicine. Um, When I first got there, um, it was coming up to Easter, and I'm seeing Easter lilies, and I I got permission to put signs out that those were toxic to cats, Um, Ah. and uh, so I, in fact, saved one lady's uh, she was going to take it to her mom who has a bunch of cats. Oh. Um, so she immediately put it away. So there's been some educational opportunities um, yeah. advising them what to do. Um, for some reason, we've been out of pumpkin during the pandemic or early on. And that was a big huh. staple for uh, dogs with certain, you know, GI problems.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So what's some alternatives, <laughs> you know, hamburger <laughs> and rice. It's just, it's been um because we are a very um more boutique type grocery store um we're like a community grocery store so we see the same people
1: yeah.
0: um all the time and uh they uh it, they come in at that we're right next to the hospitals so we see the first responders coming in um okay. and talking to them about what's going on with covid at the hospitals it's just been like one degree of separation, still being on those front lines.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to ask, <laughs> does Randall's have toilet paper? Because I went to HEV uh, like two days ago. And they didn't yes, have it. Yes, we have toilet paper.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. We do have <laughs> okay. toilet paper there. We do. Randall's has toilet paper. I put more out on the shelf last night. Oh, uh, good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's funny what the different stores and the supply chains, right? What they get yeah. and what others don't get. Yeah yeah but definitely it's it's been slowly but surely because i think people lost like due to power outages all their groceries yeah getting replenished um I, so that's been um yeah toilet paper <laughs> that's been i remember when they got a mega pack in of charmin or cottonelle i don't remember what and, yeah. and you know the employees get some first dibs on things but yeah yeah You know, and I will. the The people at the store, a lot of them ride the bus to come to work, Mm -hmm. and that has given me such an amazing appreciation of people who who will ride a bus for an hour Mm
1: -hmm.
0: just so you can get groceries or your your and so the integrity and the commitment of these people that I work with has been, um, I've been very amazed and I admire them very much, very much. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I come from a very blue-collar family um, Mm -hmm. and uh, family members, truck drivers, uh, postal workers. So I have a connection that it's not, even though i'm a doctor that connection to real people doing real work um with a commitment of to their job to provide for their community Mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing the teamwork during the the winter storms we had eight people running an entire grocery store and that's with five registers so five cashiers that left two people to do the groceries get them stocked and out and one person to man the door because for the first time we had a line out the door so that's that took a lot of teamwork (laughs) and so no lunches no breaks no everybody you know just trying to help everyone um get what they needed you know to get through but um that was very scary during the storm without power Uh, but we're next to the hospitals, like I said, so we were on the blessed power grid of the hospital, which did not get rolling outages, so uh, we were able to be open, yeah.
1: Yeah, Um, my apartment is um, right next to a hospital, too, so I didn't have any um, electrical outages, but I do have water damage, so I need to move units in my apartment complex, and I, like, just moved uh to this complex like two two months ago uh I don't know I just didn't expect that because it was just like a little bit of water damage in the closet and then when they told me like yeah we gotta move you I was like what I, I I don't know I just didn't think I was gonna be uh impacted but right I mean right I mean just the stories and so I mean people have passed away because of the storm i mean it just feels like texas have um, has dealt with a lot of tragedies um because i just think back to hurricane harvey um yeah yeah it was only a few yeah. years ago
0: <laughs> yeah we keep we keep getting hit um but the, uh, you know, the good stories that come out of it is one block from where I live, they were out of power in my neighborhood, and there were 72 houses. But w- during this storm, people were coming in as like, I've got four families living with me because I've got power, right? Yeah. We're connected with people. Um, these two older men came in, and they're they're, they're like, because we had limits, right, on buying things. So mm-hmm. um, they're like, we have 30 girls living with us, 30, like, high school, college, a bunch of, I'm like, okay, your limits are lifted, right, you get 30 (laughs) girls, Um, so that's interesting, Um, you know, there's been some really um, great stories come out of, of all the hardship, I think, from Texans, and um, really, you know, our neighborhood was going around and picking up homeless that because there's a place nearby um, so that they wouldn't freeze out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, there was this story on the news where one of the weather people that was out found a dog. <laughs> and oh. so they found a dog and put it in their weather van. <laughs> so she didn't oh. freeze. Um, but I think that you know, with this pandemic, I you know I think a year from now we're still going to be wearing masks. Um, but um, the 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 ingenuity that's come out of it, the resolution, um, the resolve, the commitment, and the new way of doing technology has been just tremendous. Um, it, I see with our high school students that work at the grocery store, they've struggled. Um, mm-hmm. I saw that um, it, the increase in kids failing at least one class has grown tremendously. The lack of um, the ability to be online you know, or have computers, I mean, it's really it's been eye-opening and I think there's gonna be a lot of work that and good things that do come out of this in the next five to ten years I hope to see that Um, but um, for now I mean it's just like every day is a new what's gonna happen today I mean next up what's next up for us you know tornadoes (laughs) so again I don't know what's the next disaster Um, Uh, hopefully we'll um, we, we need some positivity on this horizon, right? Yeah. I know that the, I know the veterinary practices are struggling across the nation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They really are. And then, yeah. um, but pet adoptions went through the roof, right? So yes. fostering and there's been, um, yeah, that's been absolutely incredible to see as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, so I have to ask about the, you said the weather reporter? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm like, that would have been funny if he or she was like, Hey, I'm reporting on the story. I just found this dog. (laughs) What did that happen?
0: yeah that's what uh. they found this dog they found it had a tag but it didn't uh, no one answered um and they had the video and the uh camera <laughs> there was a camera to the back of the van which is where all the gear was and they would sometimes report from there and the dog was sitting in that seat so they would show us live shots of the dog uh. warm and cozy uh on the seat i think it was K view i think it was the local cbs here in austin i think that's it was so
1: K-view. cute that's right
0: yeah yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's nice to have those stories of levity, where there's just you know those moments of uh, positivity. Um.
0: Save something, right? Save something.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know,
0: and I mentioned the the struggles with remoteness, right? And um, <laughs> the interesting thing, a couple things, is going to the grocery store to work. I'm actually, you know, normally I'd be at home. Right. My only interactions with big groups or people was uh, traveling, going to conferences and um, and doing speaking. So that's been interesting that I'm the one that's getting out of the house now. Um, The other and there's actually been some trainings on this is I've testified by Zoom. Um, So that was interesting. You know the jury's in there and mask, and you can see them um they're all socially distancing you It was very strange to do yeah. it by camera, right, mm-hmm. but that's been become more of the norm right mm-hmm. yeah,
1: yeah, I'm sure it's hard to see the lack of um emotions,
0: yeah, you can't see faces as well, you can't see body language as well. Yeah. I couldn't see the judge. I could only see part of the defendant, you know, so it's, it was yeah. very, um, very different. Yeah.
1: Very yeah. Different. So, yeah, back to veterinary forensics on a broader scale, what have been the consequences on animals and perhaps people due to the pandemic?
0: Oh, to the pa- from the pandemic, Jeez. yeah. Um, one is um, I, my uh, a good friend of mine is the president of Los Angeles SPCA, and they do a lot with domestic violence. And within thirty minutes, the shelters were full—the human, the domestic violence shelters—of the shutdown within mm-hmm. thirty minutes. Wow! Um, so that's been the biggest thing. I know they reported that in Houston. But from that, like in Houston, a veterinary group stepped up to provide medical care and fostering for pets.
1: Mm. So
0: that's, again, this grassroots thing. Um, We've seen um, an uptick, uh, at least Houston SPCA was reporting an uptick in uh, cruelty, calls and it may be people are at home they're observant of what's going on now with their neighbors or in the backyard mm-hmm. um, so but then there's also been a i think less prosecutions the court docket gets you know with courts being closed or things are being pushed out and because of due process and the right to that the defendants have to speedy trials or um, You know, there's this whole thing about Zoom. Is that appropriate? You know, they're supposed to be able to confront their accusers or the witnesses through testimony. So there's been a lot of legal maneuvering. So I think it's forced a lot of pleas, you know, a lot Mm -hmm. of plea deals because they don't have the capacity to proceed on as usual. So they have to triage the cases. Mm -hmm. And animal cases, depending on how bad they are, are, are going to... As they should fall below you know a sexual assault Um, Mm -hmm. that's going to take a priority right but so Mm -hmm. I think that negotiations of cases is is increased Um, the you know the consulting certainly went down for me on cases because the prosecutors and defense attorneys are not in in court right they're not in their offices and all doing remote so Animal cruelty may have gone on, or has been reported on the rise, but the the ability to go through the normal legal chain has gone down. Now, on the flip side, there's been a growth of of uh, what do I want to say? Maybe donations or philanthropy fill- philanthropic efforts mm-hmm. we are seeing um a forensic center the oregon humane society is going to open up a, they're proceeding on with opening up a forensic center there um there's been uh, an increase increased uh organization of services by the aspca out of uh university of florida to offer uh support right mm-hmm. because finance is you know one of the first things i heard in a nearby county when um things were being shut down in the pandemic as they let go their animal control officers. They were laid off. Oh wow. So there's it's been a, it's been tough. A blend of of things, right? Yeah. Good things and uh, struggling things. I know Los Angeles, their people they've struggled like how do you respond? You know, they they had to figure out how do you respond where you're still protecting your people? to a, a potential cruelty call right mm-hmm. you got to be masked up what's their liabilities um, and then what do they do and then there was the whole issue can the virus be on the animal so there's right. protocols for wiping the animals or bathing the animals so that they don't bring coronavirus into a shelter but you know it's just the lack of science early on and and knowing and still we a lot of things that we still don't know that's You know, everybody's just trying to make the best decisions and keeping their fingers crossed. Mm
1: -hmm. So you spoke about the pandemic's impact on veterinary forensics and then your professional life. Uh, Do you want to talk at all about how it's impacted you personally? Oh, wow. Um,
0: (laughs) You know, it's been. Sometimes I'm like, what? how did I get here? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I think my whole career, I'm always like that. Like, how (laughs) did I, why am I a feline practitioner? And then um, how I fell into the forensics. You know, I believe that things happen for a reason. Um, If you pay attention and, you know, when opportunities open up is to follow that path, at least give it the due diligence it deserves. You know, for me, um, getting out of the house was was different you're right because I'm used to having this working from home routine so having to put on makeup every day (laughs) to go to work was um, new and to do my hair right (laughs) Um, uh, the you know um, my partner works from home as well Mm -hmm. that happened during the pandemic to go to full-time working from home so thank goodness she has we have built an office outside the house in the mm-hmm. garage so i because i think that's a struggle when you're used to having that separation yeah. through work um in a in relationship to be stuck at home together all the time has yeah. been a, a struggle for a lot of people so i think me going to work helped yeah uh, you know i have a, a decon area every day i come home it's become routine where, how I decon coming in the house, um, before I touch the animals, all the Mm -hmm. surfaces I touch, um, that's been a struggle, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, for me, not being able to see family, or refusing to see family, you know, um, because I don't want to put myself at risk, or them at risk, I think, um, that's, personally, that's, that's been hard, um, but, you know, um, I can't believe a year's gone by. Um, oh, no. I think, in some ways, it, it's it's been good because it's made you figure out what's important,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And yeah. to prioritize quality time
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, with your family and friends through Zoom and phone calls. And at, at the other, it's been I I don't know what's what it's going to look like a year from now i i really don't want to leave the grocery store i like doing the forensics work yeah. and i like working at the grocery store and i really think that blend i think it can work yeah. i was teaching to um remotely to some students in wisconsin mm. and um they were asking me before we got started what i was doing and i started laughing and i told them, mm-hmm. and then at the end they they loved it they appreciated that just because you're called doctor mm-hmm. or just because you have a veterinary degree that it it gave them permission to maybe work at a floral shop part-time mm-hmm. and be you know to have that balance
1: yeah
0: and our very um, tough careers as veterinarians mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah and I think as just a, a regular patient or you know someone who isn't a doctor and you know we see someone with a white coat sometimes and it can be a little intimidating and so there's something very humbling about that about um, like not being afraid to work at a grocery store like I feel like that makes you very personable and grounded
0: yeah. Yeah. It's another version of imposter syndrome sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, You know, I'm like, wait, you know, I'm not being, I'm called by my first name oh, and not uh, doctor. Yeah. You know, that was like, okay. <laughs> um, and I got a name tag that doesn't say doctor, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, so in some ways it's that way. And then in others, it really does allow, you know, I think a lot of these people have never, that I work with, like the kids, the high schoolers, they're like, you do you what? You do what? <sighs> and so it's also given them permission to like, aspire and, and to be real, mm-hmm. right? To be real that this is, I like it. I do it because I like it. I do it because it's another part-time, you know, another source of income when I can't do others. And you know but i you know my father worked three jobs and put himself through college so um i come from that background um and you know the benefits hey i got free health insurance until things change
1: yeah (laughs) um
0: where i could you know it was a struggle for health insurance for a a private consultant right Mm -hmm. so um i have absolutely enjoyed that aspect. There's been times where I remember why I don't miss owning my own practice. Um, Mm. Managing people can be a struggle, right? Um, And um, so I did that for about nine, almost nine months, and then I was like, "Eh, I think I want to get to less management of people. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I think um, working with just a few, a smaller group of people within the grocery department was more fitting. Mm But it's given me an opportunity to learn new things, to excel, you know, feel accomplished in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that that's, that's been positive um, for me.
1: Yeah. You know, and not everyone's career path is linear as well. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I I think it's cool when you can expand your skill set a little bit and try to do things beyond your comfort zone. Um, I, yeah. I, I know like when I was in college, I was like, oh, I'm going to do speech therapy. And I was like, that's, that's the path I'm going to go. And then I was like, oh no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and so I, mm-hmm. so I studied journalism, but then I have, um, my sister and brother, my sister is a nurse. My brother's a lawyer and like their path is so linear. And, that- and it's just interesting because I've worked in like grant writing and marketing. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like that when people, you know, they're like not afraid to, you know, not just be in, in one path. So I think that's really cool that you, um, you know, have that balance of being a veterinary forensics consultant and then working at a grocery store. I just feel like that makes you really well-rounded. <laughs>
0: It does it feels that way, and I will say there's cases that I can't consult on that I'm not the right person or I can't physically you know travel to be there or whatever and the I've always said that when I started doing that kind of work and teaching and writing the textbooks and providing more trainings online and Developing those that I was tra- I was doing I was going to put myself out of a job mm-hmm. right that my goal was to train others to step up and do what I do okay and so it's been nice um, like I had a, a I think it was a case from south southwest Texas but I I referred it I was able to suggest that there are other people within the state that could do could help you with a case mm-hmm. right. Um, and so I think that that's been fantastic that there's, um, more and more veterinarians that are willing to do, um, legal work, mm-hmm. right. And not be afraid of that. Um, the, the, you know, it, it's certainly been frustrating all the groups in, um, that I've been involved with, you know, World Small Animal Vet Association, um, the Association of Prosecuting Attorneys, all our normal conferences being postponed or put to remote. But I think that's really going to grow. People have become accustomed to learning remotely and attending conferences remotely. And I think we're going to reach more people because that's now more normal. Uh, for those that can't travel mm-hmm. due to budget constraints yeah. or family obligations or, you know, sole practitioners, all that, that we're, if we keep this model up in conferences where we have blended in person and remote, mm-hmm. I think that's going to change the future. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we should be doing anyways mm-hmm. to reach those people that can't travel from around the world, right? Right. Yeah, we have the we have a great capacity to um, to reach the veterinary community and and our other stakeholders. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It sounds like it increases access to opportunities. Um, and, and it's interesting when during a crisis uh, like the pandemic, when um, something like that comes about, and we're like, oh, we need to continue doing this. Um, and yeah, and perhaps yeah. perhaps that wouldn't have you know, happened if the pandemic hadn't occurred.
0: Absolutely. There wouldn't have been a motivation. They wouldn't have known who they could reach and that people, people are willing to do that, do those lunchtime things, you know, Mm -hmm. so that they can get, um, you know, pearls of wisdom, you know, through a very, a concise way, or you know spread it out. there's some conferences that are being spread out over weeks, yeah, so that people can versus them taking four days in a row or three days in a row so i I, I think it's going to be a model that needs to be emulated going forward. I really do, yeah,
1: yeah, so is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners about the pandemic's impact on veterinary forensics, your work, personal life, anything else you didn't feel like you had a chance to share? Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, um, we are going to be getting vaccinations at our grocery store. I just found out yesterday. Um, So I've been tracking those vaccines and what the studies were. Again, I just, I'm very frustrated at the lack of science this warp speed so to speak that you know the studies didn't they were just looking at whether or not you got real severe illness and death Mm -hmm. um but I'm I'm gonna do it um I guess I signed up for it (laughs) so I will be getting vaccinated um as a grocery store worker I'm you know hoping that we get uh the veterinarians on the next round at least in Texas but um yeah, no, I, I mean, the one thing that has got me through this is I have two extremely good friends that are former prosecutors in Colorado and Los Angeles. So once a week, we get on the call um, with a few cocktails and we catch up on the week's uh, news or the, you know, yeah. the, and that has been my lifeline um, because those have been, you know, two other hot spots to understand what going on in their area it's kind of this hodgepodge of what's um representative of whether it's you know the the pandemic or animals or legal or um you know politics and that's that's what really has got me through is to have that lifeline and feel grounded remotely and so I hope everybody has been able to have some kind of network that has supported them through that
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Having a support system is so crucial because I think a lot of people feel isolated. Um, so, yeah, just having some loved ones in your life is just uh, means the world to people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So having really smart friends um, has helped me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, f- you know, sift through the overwhelming when you're feeling just like inundated with um information and how do you sift through that yeah I think that's been a struggle for everyone so now I'm very happy that I don't feel like I have to watch the news every day yeah and can enjoy some Netflix or Hulu binge watching
1: (laughs) yeah what what have you been watching
0: (laughs) oh what I watch I watch a little bit of everything but Mm. it's funny my friends and I our escape is um either um it's usually watching some kind of murder show um that's how we escape Um, but no I just um, oh um, I'm watching a foreign on HBO the investigation it's based in Denmark Copenhagen and it's supposed it's about supposedly a true story where a girl goes missing and a torso washes up on the shore so it's all subtitled but it's absolutely fantastic
1: Well, it's always nice to have some uh, escape from reality. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you're getting vaccinated. That's awesome. Um, I know I can't wait to get vaccinated. Um, I guess yeah. it'll help a little bit in getting our lives back to normal. I know not quite like you were saying, people are still going to be wearing masks for, you know, I don't know. We, we know how long, but.
0: Yeah, I mean, the whole thing with the vaccine, I had to explain to my friends, and though there's some new information, they think it might prevent you from some immunity from getting it or from contracting it, but it really just prevents you from getting really sick and dying, and so it's not going to lead to herd immunity, and it's going to, you know, that we don't know how long the antibodies will last, but at least it'll get, it reduces the severity of the disease and that's what we need. We need some relief from the fear, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. We really do. Yep. Well, hopefully we can end this episode on a positive note that things are looking up. Um, Definitely what uh, the pandemic and the winter storm has really tested us. But, um, you know, I guess it's shown how resilient and strong uh, Texans and just people throughout the world have been. Yes,
0: I uh, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And we're going to have a new life after this, right? As this evolves, it's going to look different. It's going to be different. I was joking that I'm like, babies coming into the store. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're going to be experts at reading eyes and body language because yeah. it can't see your face. Yeah. Like, what is that doing? Right. So I I, it's it's going to be an interesting journey for the next 10 to 20 years. What life looks like. I think it's going to be fantastic.
1: That was Dr. Melinda Merck discussing the pandemic's impact on her life and how she has navigated this unprecedented time. She also explained what veterinary forensics is, how she advanced this field of veterinary medicine, and the pandemic's impact on animal cruelty cases. To learn more about her work, visit her website, veterinaryforensics.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading reviews, and if you have a minute to spare, we would love to read yours too. Thank you for tuning in to Veterinary Vitals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein from TVMA.